0: It's and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, the podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure, and I am Nicoletta Heidegger, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist, and this week I am welcoming Noah Fleischacker. She is the executive director of Tight Lift, a storytelling and advocacy organization by and for people with chronic vulvovaginal and pelvic pain conditions. Tightlipped was born out of Noah's personal experience navigating the healthcare system with pelvic floor dysfunction. Before founding Tightlipped, Noah worked as a community organizer directing campaigns, leadership development, and regional strategy in the Midwest for a progressive student organization. Her decade of professional and volunteer work as a community and political organizer helped her to see the personal as political in her own experience as a patient and motivated her to create a platform to share those stories publicly and bring patients together to fight for change. She's also written some awesome audio pieces about chronic vulvo vaginal and pelvic pain in order to destigmatize these conditions and build a community of patient advocates, which is what we're going to talk about today. And you can even listen to more of that at the Tight Lipped Podcast. Welcome, Noah.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> this is such an important topic that I've covered it in different ways a few times on the podcast, but it is worth coming back to because there are so many layers and levels of this. And I would love to help people hear maybe a little bit about your experience, um, with this particular topic. And then I'm, I want to share mine as well, because as we're talking about destigmatizing, let's fucking talk about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad you've covered this in other ways, because I think there's just a huge amount to talk about in this topic. Yes. Um, and
0: just for listeners, if you're tuning in yeah. for the first time and want a little background on this, you can go back to an early episode with Kana Kassard, where we talk about uh, painful Sex. Uh, there's also an episode with a uh, pelvic floor therapist named Shireen O'Bear. Um, And then we also have a sexual medicine specialist, Dr. Lisa Valle, on a past episode. So today we're going to talk a little more about the personal experience and advocacy side, but go check those out if you're someone who experiences unwanted pain during sex, because remember, it shouldn't hurt unless you want it to.
1: Yeah, great. All great resources. And I think that the things that I want to focus on are really the personal stories and the patient experience. Yes. So, yeah. So I can tell, tell you a little bit about my own personal experience because that's how I got into this. So, um, we'll get, just dive right into it, which is basically, um, for as long as I can remember, I have always had pain with some kind of insertion like tampons, pelvic exams, pap smears um when i started trying to have penetrative sex it was so painful it felt impossible it wasn't even the the pain so much as feeling like there was just like i felt like there was nowhere to go inside of me um and it just the way that i've heard people describe it is like hitting a wall yeah. um and i didn't really realize that that was a real medical condition. I just thought like, oh, this is something weird that, you know, maybe this is just like a weird thing that I'll just get over or it will go away on its own or over time it will disappear. I didn't think like, oh, this is something that other people are dealing with that's actually legitimate and real. Um, And actually, it took me many months before I even recognized that it wasn't going to go away. I kind of called this my like science experiment period Mm -hmm. of time where at the time my boyfriend and I were like constantly like trying to have penetrative sex and unsuccessfully in the sense that it was like painful and felt like pretty much impossible for me.
0: I want to kind of highlight that this is where I think the advocacy work starts and I know we'll dive into this more and I want to hear your full experience but like you mentioned pelvic exams and other things. Um, Did you share any pain that was happening um when that was going on because this is i think the start of where we talk about why there needs to be change in the sense that a lot of people who experience pain this is a lot of my clients too um nobody tells them any different and it is just normalized so i wonder did you have an experience where there was pain where you were like wincing and something and the doctor just didn't say shit
1: yeah totally and i think that's such an important point because i was really not talking about this at the time. Like Mm -hmm. I could never have imagined I would be like, I'm going to get on the Sluts and Scholars podcast and talk about like how painful sex is. Like, that's not something I would have imagined doing. I really kept it secret and I didn't talk about it to almost anyone in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did go to see my gynecologist at a certain point and I'd never been able to get like a pap smear, pelvic exam, just like a routine exam. Um, And I basically went in and she tried to do an exam like she tried to insert the speculum and I was in so much pain. I like immediately jerked back and like she couldn't she couldn't even like insert the speculum. Um, and unfortunately, my gynecologist's reaction to that was, oh, you're just nervous about your exam. You're just anxious. We're going to give you some sedatives to calm you down. And so she gave me sedation pills and told me to come back and try again. So we, I came back, I was like, this time I was kind of like loopy and happy because of the sedation pills, but the same thing happened. Like I was in excruciating pain. I could not tolerate the speculum. And her reaction to that was, oh, you must not have taken enough of the sedation pills. We need to put you under general anesthesia in order to do your pelvic exam. So, and at the time, which is yeah. Shock. I, it's shocking. You can't see my Yeah. It's
0: like, I mean, general anesthesia is so extreme.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Well,
0: um, and, and it's, I don't know how you felt, but it's so yeah. blaming of you. You didn't take enough. Right. Oh, we, you're a problem. We need to do this for you as opposed to any sort of knowledge or education about that.
1: Totally, totally, and it wasn't like there was any conversation about like, well, what might cause that level of pain. She wasn't even asking me questions about my sex life or, you know, the fact that I couldn't use tampons or any of that. And it did feel very kind of like, oh, it's my fault. I must not have. I must not be like, yeah,
0: just re- just relax.
1: Right, exactly. Just relax. Why don't you take enough? Why don't you take more sedatives? Um, and I was kind of shocked, and so I wrote to my primary care physician and told her this. And she told me I needed to stop avoiding getting my pap smear and I should go under anesthesia. Um, And so I just felt like everyone was kind of treating me as this like delinquent patient who didn't want to get a pap smear. I was like, I would love to get a pap smear. Like I'd love to do that. I'm not trying to avoid it. I actually just can't tolerate it. Um, and so I, I did it. I like went, I took off work for the day. I went to the hospital. I went under general anesthesia. I felt ridiculous. I remember the nurse coming in to put my IV in and she was like, Oh, honey, like, what are you here for? And I was like, A pap smear. And they just like were so confused by that. Um, no one really knew what to do with me or why I would be going under general anesthesia for that kind of procedure. And when I woke up, I kind of expected, some like revelation from the doctor of like, we figured out what's wrong with you. Or like, we found something. And instead she was like, great job. You got your pap smear. You're all good to go. See you next year. And she left. And there was no conversation about like, wait, this isn't normal. Am I going to do this every year now? Like, what, is there any treatment I can try? Like nothing like that. It was just like, check the box. you got your pap smear. You can go home.
0: Wow. How did that feel for you?
1: At that time, because I just didn't know anyone else who was going through something like this, I just thought like, wow, something's really wrong with me. Like, why am I why did I need to go through this extreme kind of procedure in order to get what most people do very easily, like this basic um exam. Yeah, I think I felt like it, kind of like it was my fault and like if I was just like a better patient or if I could just like put up with the pain, then things would then things would be normal um and i didn't really know what to do with it like i just i didn't know where to go i didn't know where to look for help and i didn't and it felt like so embarrassing that i had just done this i didn't tell people like oh i'm going to hospital to get a pap smear um it just felt like something i didn't feel comfortable telling most people in my life
0: yeah and where do you think i mean we learn this from all kinds of places but where do you think you learned that it's not something we talk about like where where might that message have come from of like, we don't talk about this.
1: Yeah. Um, it's not even that I felt like discomfort talking about sex. I felt actually discomfort talking about pain. Mm. Um and pain with sex. I think yeah. in part sex honestly, which is so weird
0: because I think I none of us wanna be quote unquote bad at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I like I went to Oberlin College, like very like sex positive, like everyone's having lots of like crazy sex all the time. And I felt like, oh, my God, I can't tell anyone that I can't have sex because it's so painful. I and I just it's almost as if like the sex positive culture like didn't encompass like what if you have pain or what if you have a disability or what if you have like a condition that actually makes this really hard? Then what does your sex life look like? Like that was not a part of that kind of sex positive.
0: Yeah. I think you nailed it when you said that that sex positive doesn't mean having sex all the time. <laughs> sex positive means encompassing all types of having and not having and the barriers to it and acknowledging like everyone's different path and experience. But I think when we hear it or for a lot of people it's sort of like oh this means you have to be doing it a lot and having a lot and enjoying it all the time.
1: <laughs> totally. Totally. And I think another part of that is understanding that sex is not Only penetrative sex. And I think that to me, I had an active sex life. It's not like I wasn't having quote unquote sex, Mm -hmm. but this particular type of sex was very painful and impossible for me. And there wasn't a conversation of like, Oh, sex isn't like sex, even for, even for people who are like having like PIV sex, penis and vagina sex. Um, you don't have to have that type. Even if you're in a heterosexual relationship, you don't have to have that type of sex. Um, that was part of the conversation.
0: Now hearing the stories from lots of other community members who experienced something similar, what are some other experiences that you hear from folks at the doctor who are experiencing some type of unwanted pelvic pain?
1: Oh my gosh. I wish that this wasn't the case, but I hear absurd stories literally every day. Um, yeah. some recent ones that I heard because li- as soon as I started talking about my experience and as soon as we started tight lift, we just got flooded with messages and often people writing in thinking that like the experience they had is super unique and no one else has ever experienced yeah. it, yes. except there's so many similarities. So like I heard from someone who told me that her doctor didn't really know what to do with her. Um, and suggested that she go to the supermarket and buy a cucumber and try sticking the cucumber in her vagina and that that would like solve her pain.
0: I heard not, not even who, like, not even like a sex
1: tool or toy, no, cucumber, cucumber, which please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also heard someone who another thing don't do this go buy a set of candles. This is exactly why dilators exist, but a set of like candles increasing in size and stick the candles in. Oh my God. Don't do that either. Yeah, Um, I heard from I hear the story I hear the most, unfortunately, is doctors who are like, oh, just relax or have a glass of wine. And unfortunately, some of the like alcohol, like the like, just use alcohol, just drink a glass of wine is even for like really young patients, which is super upsetting because some of those patients are then either, you know, using alcohol in order to have and, like essentially non consensual sex, right? Um, or ending up in like situations they didn't want to be in in the first place, um, and also this idea that like, oh, you need to get if sex is painful, then you need to get drunk, which is just also incorrect.
0: Um, and just highlighting another systemic issue in our system, which is let's treat the symptom, right? Is there anything we right. can do to numb the symptom because we're not going to give you the time to figure out what's really going on, right? Right. So yeah, why totally. why is this happening? Why is this happening in the field?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. I think there's a lot going on, right? Which some of it is the patriarchy and, you know, just the way that our society is set up. But one of the key things that we've been focusing on at Tight Lipped is the fact that OBGYNs are not typically trained in pain conditions and conditions that can cause painful sex. It's just not a standard part of OBGYN training across the country. Even though OBGYNs are like the vagina doctors, right? So when you have an issue with your vagina or you have something going on sexually, you're probably going to go to your OBGYN as like your go-to resource, but that's just not a part of standard training. And so even though there are some incredible specialists around the country who know how to diagnose and treat these conditions, their vast majority of OBGYNs are not getting trained on what to do if someone has pain with a speculum exam or what to do if someone comes in complaining of pain during sex or what to do if someone has chronic pelvic pain. That's just not a part of a lot of training. Um, and so then we end up in this situation where people go to their OBGYN, like I did, expecting you know some kind of conversation about why this might be happening. And they're kind of at best told, oh, I wish there was something I could do for you. I don't really know. And at worst, they're experiencing medical gaslighting and they're told it's on your head or it's just your personality or maybe you don't really like your partner and that's why you're in pain or Mm if they're kind of dismissed and blamed for why they're experiencing these symptoms.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like what you said, the like at best, because I appreciate when a professional, I mean, we want to trust that they have confidence in what they do know, but I appreciate a professional who tells me when there's something they don't know or when there's something they don't know that they don't know. And then they make some efforts to be like, but let's find out. Right, Or is there something I could do to connect you with the right referral? And you know, that's what I would do in in my practice of like, if there's something I'm not sure about, but if I'm attuned to the client and I'm seeing it's obviously causing distress, how do I connect them with somebody who does know? And I, I mean, that's a tough one because i I don't know if that's necessarily on the practitioner. I think the medical system is probably, overworked and and people you know with insurance especially aren't given the um the time to work with people or they they just kind of get a little numb to it maybe and then the appointments like you don't even see a person it's just an appointment
1: yeah yeah i think you know most people at least my experience and the patients that i talk to most people are not um, expecting that their obgyn has all their all the answers and it's okay if they don't like it's not your fault as a provider if you didn't receive this kind of training The problem is when, if you don't have the answers, you blame the patient, right? The problem is when patients come in saying, you know, I'm experienced. I feel like I have a UTI all the time and it doesn't go away. And they're told, oh, well, are you you sure you're peeing after sex? That will solve the problem, right? Or like Mm -hmm. something that implies if you just change this one thing about your behavior or about your personality, then you'll solve the problem, which sometimes like when doctors say, oh, just use more lube, which like yeah, everyone could benefit from using more lube and like, that's a great idea. But also often patients are trying all the things themselves and that's not working. And so they are actually going to their provider, looking for someone who can like be in it with them and try to figure it out with them. And if they don't have all the answers, that's totally fine. Just like be honest about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I had an experience just on the topic of like medical gaslighting, because I see this happening, not just in Um, Obstetrics and gynecology, but I had a hernia surgery uh, recently, and I've been dealing with post-surgical issues ever since. And going back to the surgeon, going back to the doctor, you know, talking about it, um, she kept saying, "Are you sure you weren't feeling this before? You probably were feeling this before." My my surgery went perfectly. This is something that looks like you were feeling it before. Oh my gosh! (laughs) And when a doctor and look, I'm I'm more trained in this field. I work with clients on advocating for themselves, but it is so hard to advocate to a doctor when they pull the, I'm the doctor. And I've literally heard those words before from a doctor when I said, Oh, I want to take my IUD out, or I want to do this other thing. And they're like, I'm the doctor. How often do you see people experiencing that I'm the doctor vibe? And what can we do to help? patients advocate for themselves? Like in that situation you had where the doctor's just like, do this thing and there's something in your body that's like, this doesn't feel good. How do we help people advocate for themselves in this medical space?
1: Yeah. 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 I had an OBGYN at one point who I went to her because I was trying to get more information about why I was in pain and what was going on. And I asked her, like, well, what do you think is causing this? Why do you think I'm having this kind of pain? And she said, imagine that you're a little girl and you go into a forest. And when you walk into the forest, you're bit by a snake. And then for the rest of your life, whenever you go into a forest or anywhere near a forest, you feel like you're being bitten by a snake. That's what happened to you. That was what she told me, which is a bizarre metaphor and story but what i took away from that was oh are you trying to tell me that i have repressed sexual trauma that i can't remember and then if i could like remember it then that must be kind of the root of my that would be like the root of the issue or something and i think because of this like patient doctor power dynamic it's like she's trying to basically tell me that i don't rem- i don't remember something that happened and that's why i'm in pain um And yeah, there's this, there's this like power, yeah, power dynamic there where, because she's the doctor, like, okay, well, I guess you're right. Even though that did not feel right to me. I was like, no, I, I have never experienced any kind of sexual trauma. And that's just not my, that's not my experience. And that is also not why I'm in pain now. Mm -hmm. Um but I think that's so hard to push back on. I mean, I walked away from that appointment, like spent days trying to think, like, did something happen that I don't remember? Like, what could that have been? It's very hard to kind of step away and feel like maybe that maybe I should see a new doctor. Instead, you feel like, okay, well, is there truth to what they're saying? And, you know, I, you know, medical providers have been through so much training to get to where they are and like often do have a lot of expertise. And when yeah. they say something like that, it has a lot of weight and power because you as a patient kind of take that as truth, even if you don't, if it doesn't sit right with you. And so that, I mean, to me, one of the biggest things that I feel like I've learned over time about advocating for yourself is b- learning about breaking up with your doctor and finding mm-hmm. someone who you feel like is the right fit. Because I later went to see a doctor who said to me, look, I'm not, when I asked her the same question, what do you think is causing this? And she was like, look, I'm not sure. Here's what I think the possibilities are. Here's what I know about this, but I'm not sure. Like, let's figure this out together. And I was like, even though I walked out of that appointment with no concrete answers, you had an I ally. Like, yeah. I was like, I trust this person. This person is going to like, try to figure it out with me. Even if she doesn't know that's okay. Um, And I have also since found other providers like that who, you know, have that kind of um, attitude towards like trying to understand what's going on. And if they don't know the answers, trying to help you find out where you can get those answers. And so I think that to me has been like a big part of advocating for yourself is actually finding a provider who takes you seriously and who either is, is educated in these particular conditions or is willing to do the like research and work to try to help you figure it
0: out. I think I see a lot of people struggling with, especially maybe if they don't have the means and they're working through insurance, they often just kind of get who they get. And so, what can we do in those situations where it feels like it's inaccessible to dump your provider?
1: Yeah, I mean, th- I mean this is what is just so upsetting and frustrating about yeah. trying to get care for these conditions is it is so it's so inaccessible. There's enormous racial and economic racial and class. Um, disparities in who's yeah. getting care for these conditions because who has the like time money ability to be like okay I'm just gonna shop around for doctors and go to yeah. you know 15 different doctors appointments there was one study done at University of Minnesota um of people who have provoked vestibulodynia which is like an, a condition that causes painless sex and The people in the study, over a third of them had to go to more than 15 doctor appointments before they got a diagnosis, which when you think about, you know, who can go to that many appointments, it's mostly very wealthy white women. I mean, that's who's getting, you know, that's who's actually getting a diagnosis. So I think you're totally right. And there is like enormous, enormous issues in accessing care for this
0: stuff. Well, and, and even for those folks, you know the the burnout is quite real. And and for folks listening, if you haven't experienced pelvic pain, maybe just any other medical thing, the effort it takes to call and make an appointment, the hold times, the wait times, uh, finding the right fit, and then sometimes they stop taking your insurance, and then getting there, driving there, taking time off of work, like all of the steps, the amount of effort it takes, and and just to kind of paint a picture for the inaccessibility, at least in California um or I, I can speak to los angeles and you can probably speak to the greater nation at large but in los angeles there are some general obgyns who are informed about pain in this kind of thing and those are like sexual medicine specialists most of those people because they have specialized training do not take insurance um or at least don't take all the insurances so a lot of that's out of pocket and then for someone who is experiencing pain That usually isn't enough. They usually have to be working with a therapist and then also a hands-on physical therapist and potentially other folks who are helping with things like hormones and other things that can cause pain, which we talk more about in the other episodes. But the amount that that costs, uh, the time that that takes is a lot. Slutty Scholars, listen up for some discounts from our generous sponsors. Remember, the more you support them, the more you support the podcast. In this episode, we remind you a few times to expand your definition of sex and pleasure possibilities, especially if you suffer with pelvic pain or other chronic pain. One way to do that is through erotic content like Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. In case you haven't heard, Dipsy is an audio app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women. They also have written stories to read if you prefer. I have been using audio content for a while now, it really helps me experience more desire and more pleasure. It makes me buzz with this kind of like erotic energy in my day-to-day, which can be so fun, motivating, and inspiring for sex, but also just for life. You can now even listen to spicy audios from your favorite TikTok creators. Uh, they're attentive to all your needs, and they really prioritize your pleasure. So for you, dear listeners, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A dipsystories.com slash S and S. com slash S and S. And when that hunger turns to hunger for food, Green Chef has you covered. Go to greenchef.com slash 60scholars and use code 60scholars to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. I recently have been having some health issues and have had to change my diet to be gluten-free, which I thought was a real bummer, but Green Chef has been great and it has options for all kinds of eaters. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit lots of different lifestyles. And this October, they have 80 plus weekly options featuring nutritionist approved and foodie approved recipes. I am super excited to try the buttery lemon garlic shrimp. They've got a maple butternut squash risotto and a sriracha tamari beef bowl. I literally had to swallow just now because I'm having a hard time saying the rest of this because I'm drooling <laughs> wanted to eat it now. Um, this fall, I also love to get cozy uh, during fall times at, at home and cook a lot with partners or friends. Uh, and Green Chef is great for that. They even have four-person kits from Green Market. Uh, they provide everything you need for dinner organized in one convenient kit bag, which makes it super easy. So go to greenchef.com slash 60scholars and use code 60scholars to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef the number one meal kit for eating well. Now back to the episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, Los Angeles is very similar to many other even major cities where you would expect, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Boston, you would expect these places to have huge numbers of specialists, especially because vulvovaginal pain, it, it impacts up to one in four people with vulvas in the United States. And that, and maybe be more low. because yeah.
0: people aren't talking about it. Right, right.
1: That's actually probably a low estimate just because yeah. it's something that's so stigmatized. Yes. And so when you think about that, one in four of every patient who an OBGYN is seeing have some kind of chronic vulvar pain, um, pain that causes, um, you know, could, that could be a whole lot of different
0: symptoms, but still, like chronic vulvar pain. Um, And consider non-metropolitan areas. Right,
1: right. And so you're in Los Angeles or New York City, you have what, two, maybe two specialists. Imagine if you're in the middle of Iowa. I mean, like, it's absurd. It's really, really absurd that it's this hard to get care. Um, And so this is not an answer to the like individual problem of like, how do you actually access care? But on a more systemic level, that is why we decided our focus for the advocacy work that we're doing has to be on OBGYN training because everyone has, everyone who has health insurance has access to an OBGYN, right? Like that is something that you have covered. You have a checkup appointment, your like so-called well woman exam. Mm-hmm. That's something that's covered by insurance, um, for, for anyone with a vulva. Um, and so you should be able to go to that appointment and go to your OBGYN and tell them your symptoms and get Basic, you know, a basic evaluation, basic information, a standard of care, right? A basic standard of care. What What could your diagnosis be? Is it pelvic floor dysfunction or vulvodynia or vestibulodynia or pudendal neuralgia? There's a ton of different clitorodynia. There's tons of different conditions. Oh yeah, we should talk about um, some of those after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so many. Um, What might it be? And what are the first line treatments? And to get a referral, um, if you need a referral for physical therapy or for whatever it is, you shouldn't have to go to a specialist in order to get that kind of care. And so that's why our advocacy work is focused on the gaps in OBGYN education so that every OBGYN is getting that basic education and so that every patient can actually go and get care when you go to your annual appointment. So that's on a much broader level. Of course, that isn't going to happen tomorrow. And it is Um, something we have to fight for because it's not in the education right now. Um, But I think at at the end of the day, like this isn't something that you should have to go and see a specialist for unless you have a more complex case, right? I mean, and some people might need to see a specialist, but you shouldn't need to immediately see a specialist. You should be able to go to your OBGYN.
0: Yeah. And how is that process going?
1: Yeah. So we launched this campaign first at Yale in New Haven. And um, we've been able to make some progress. This is the first year of the campaign. So even in the first few months of the campaign, we've been able to make some progress. We actually got a few new lectures um, added into Yale's OBGYN training program. We brought a bunch of patients to give basically a patient perspectives panel where patients presented um, on... We had a patient talk about having endometriosis, a patient who had clitoral adhesions, um, another patient who had... Um, vestibulodynia. So kind of talking about what those different experiences are like. And then we also brought in experts, specialists who lectured to the OBGYN residents, which is amazing. And also, um, unfortunately, it's, you know, in a one hour lecture, there's only so much that you can cover. And so this really needs to actually be integrated into the full curriculum, not just like a one time lecture. So that's what we're working on now. We're actually, um, we have a curriculum committee that's like a group of, um, Providers around the country who teach about these conditions, and they're putting together a curriculum that we're going to pilot at Yale and at a couple of other places, and so also at, hopefully, in LA. Um, so that's kind of what we're working on, is trying to actually get that curriculum and that education into these and residency programs.
0: Yeah. And so you named a lot of conditions and I've talked about a few, but let's let's kind of break down some of these just so folks kind of know what they are. So um, vestibulodynia uh, is one that you said, and, and it's, a, it's a mouthful. Another aspect of that can be a bigger mouthful, which is something called hormone mediated vestibulodynia. And I would say this is probably the thing I see most commonly. Um, let's talk about what that is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I want just a disclaimer that I'm not a medical provider. I am, and we're not, and not your medical, medical providers. Training. Yes, <laughs> and I'm. I don't have medical training. I'm a patient who's done a lot of education um, to try to understand
0: all this stuff myself. But, well, but even, yeah. I just want to like note yeah. that even saying that, like, yes, of course, we want to honor the folks. You know, a- as someone who is a professional in the in the field uh, in some way, not a medical professional, but in sex therapy, like yes, we want to like honor the folks who, who have studied and gone to medical school and do that. And like, obviously there's expertise, um, in those hardworking hours. And I think the fact that, yes, of course we want to acknowledge you're not doctor and you're not the listener's doctor. And I think that's sort of an issue within our culture, right? Is that we are not sort of encouraged to become the own, um, experts of our body. And and that there's sort of maybe some like gatekeeping and things about being able to like have knowledge about what's going on for you as a non-medical professional.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that it it kind of goes both ways where... The just what we were talking about earlier about access to care, these words that we're talking about, like hormonally mediated vestibulodynia, nobody is Googling that because you don't have that information. You know, as a patient, I was, when I was like, you know, the experience I had with the pap smear under anesthesia, I had no clue what to Google. I wouldn't have Googled like pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic pain. I don't even think I had any language like that. And so there's an enormous barrier for, for and providers as well, because providers mm-hmm. aren't using those aren't right. telling patients that they might yeah. have that condition. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's, that's really true. Um, and on one hand, I feel like I want patients to be able to like have all the information, like educate yourself about your own body. And on the other hand, it like shouldn't be on you to have mm-hmm. to do all that education and have to be yeah. like, I have
0: to become an expert when you should be able to go to the doctor and get some of that information. And that's what I've seen happen for a lot of folks is because of the lack of maybe um, knowledge in the medical space about things like this is we have to become our own experts and then advocate for ourselves and then like know more than the doctor and try to assert that in a doctor's appointment. And it is exhausting.
1: It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it it is you know, I've tried to find just like a, I need to have just a regular OBGYN, not someone to treat my pelvic pain, but just someone to go to as my regular OBGYN. And I find that it's very hard for me to find someone who actually knows more than I do about these conditions, which is not, something I want you know I would yeah. like to find someone who You'd like actually, someone like, who st- sits you down to
0: teach you yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I'm not trying to be like here I am ready to teach you about my condition like that's yeah
0: over and over again my ideal yeah
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. okay so yeah. vestibulodynia what's been your experience with what that is
1: yeah so vestibulodynia is when you have pain in the vestibule right like the entrance um to the vagina and that's definitely my experience. I have vestibulogenia. Um, That's also have...
0: my experience. <laughs> Great.
1: <laughs> um, so common, right? I mean, people like this word, the, this word is not something people are familiar with, but it's so, so common. I mean, anyone who has pain with penetrative sex, pain at the entrance, like many of not anyone, not that all those people have vestibulogenia, but many of them have vestibulogenia. Um, there's different types right? There is hormonally mediated, there's neuroproliferative vestibulodynia. I think one of the biggest issues I see with people who join our community is that often people are given the wrong diagnosis. And then when they try treatment, the treatment doesn't work and they think it's their fault that the treatment doesn't work. And it's actually because they're not um, being treated for the right condition. So a lot of people are told they have vaginismus and they actually have hormonally mediated vestibulodynia which this is getting super, maybe super complicated, but you need, you need specific treatment for that, right? Like you need hormonal treatment. You probably need to be in pelvic floor physical therapy. And if you're being told you have the wrong diagnosis, you're probably not getting to the right treatment.
0: Yes. And just to kind of break that down for folks. So, um, hormone mediated, meaning that hormones are causing this pain at the opening of the vagina. Um, There can be lots of reasons why this can happen. It can be due to just like aging. Um, As we age, you know, our hormones change. So, for folks who are experiencing perimenopause or menopause, that can be happening. Um, It can be due to a medication that you take that causes an issue. The main reason I see it is for folks who have taken long-term oral contraceptive, meaning long-term birth control, um, which is not something they tell you when they prescribe you birth control. Um, so I get a lot of angry clients who are like, I did this because I was told this is what I needed to do to protect myself from unwanted or unplanned pregnancies or for my health or for other stuff going on. And now years later, they're dealing with the fallout, um, when maybe nobody shared with them that this could possibly be a side effect.
1: Right. And that, that condition is super, super treatable. Um, and so I think that's also what's so frustrating is like, if you tell people, not everyone who takes the birth control pill is going to develop, um, vestibulodynia, but if you tell people that it's a possibility, then they can look out for it. And then if they start experiencing pain, they can get it, you know, you can treat it. And that's something, yeah, that just is information that we all should have and should Mm -hmm. know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's vestibulodynia. Um, I think you said another cause of vestibulodynia as well, neural, Um, I forgot the word you used.
1: Neuroproliferative.
0: Yeah. What is that?
1: Yeah. And I'm not, um, yeah, again, not like a medical or scientific <laughs> expert. And I um don't know that I can give an explanation of this that feels like medically accurate, but it definitely is. A, it is a, also a common condition um, it's a condition where you have an access of nerve endings. Don't hold me to this, but something like that. I'm still, uh, still learning about nerve... this one myself. <laughs> <laughs> of nerve endings in your vulva. Um, and it's something that can be like if there's a congenital neuroproliferative vesicodinia, you might have had it since birth, right? It's not like anything you did could have caused it. Um, and there, this condition, there are like the, the most kind of extreme invasive form of treatment that some people do need is a vestibulectomy, which is surgery. Um, but that's not necessarily the answer for everyone and kind of depends on if you have a very particular condition. Mm-hmm. And people who have neuroproliferative vestibulodynia, again, need some, some good medical experts on this, but I, and lots of people who I know who have this condition can have pain that's like pain related to sex or tampons or pelvic exams or could have like generalized or spontaneous pain like throughout the day. Or you could have pain from wearing pants or from riding a bike or from sitting mm-hmm. um, or just like you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you're like, I feel pain in my vulva. Right. So it could be there's a whole range of experiences with that.
0: Yeah. And this is just like one of the many things that, that can cause unwanted pain. So make sure you follow Sluts and Scholars on Instagram because I'm planning to do a lot of posts about all the different kinds. Um, so you can hear a little bit more. But just to as we're starting to slowly like get towards the end of our show today, I'm curious like what's possible on the other side of finding a doctor or dealing, you know, working with some of the pain, managing some of this, like, I don't want to say like quote unquote success stories because for some people, this can be lifelong management. For others, it can be faster to to manage. Um, what are you sort of seeing once folks do get connected with a provider who knows what's up? Um, that could be your story or someone else's story, but like, is there hope?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, um, I mean, I think what you just said is like, Finding a provide, if you, to the extent that you can find a provider who, even if they're not like an expert in this, is invested in learning more about it, um, and believes you, that can make a world of difference. And there are, and I have, and I can send you the link, there are databases. Um, there's three databases where you could look up providers near you based on your zip code. Um, right. so there are ways to find those providers in your area. I also tend to recommend that people, when they look at their and look at what the conditions are listed under that person's name, right? Does it say pelvic pain? Um, does it say anything that might indicate that they have a little bit more background or understanding of what you're experiencing? You can also call the office and ask, like, how many patients with vulvodynia or with vulvar pain has this doctor seen? Um, you won't always get, like, great or clear answers with that, but there are ways that you can kind of – um seek out a provider who's more open, more interested, more invested in helping people out with these conditions, even if it's totally inaccessible to actually see one of the specialists. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I would say.
0: Yeah, And just to kind of circle back to the question we were talking about of like advocating for oneself, um, I also believe that like connecting with community is key. And so... Join an organization like Tight or like see what the resources are through that and just connect with other people who have this. Because as we talked about, it can be hard to advocate for yourself. But if you have a community behind you, it is exponentially easier to deal with any sort of like minority stress uh, that you might be uh, experiencing. And so that to me is a, is a big key factor. You know, listen to episodes like this, share this episode with people if you're experiencing it. Is there someone you would feel comfortable telling to like start? beating down that stigma uh, a little bit. I think those are important. Um, I also have some colleagues who have potentially more accessible support options. So, um, one of the colleagues on the podcast before Kana Kassar does a support group, um, and, and, you know, more like online options for this. So there are other ways to get connected, you know, at least even if there isn't somebody uh, in your area. Um, also past guests, uh, Pamela Samuelson, Hosts a really wonderful event called Take Back the Speculum, where she teaches people to do their own pelvic exams, talks about this, talks about some of the issues within healthcare, um, as well as teaching folks that they're actually allowed to do their own pelvic exams uh, at the doctor, um, which a lot of people don't know. Um, So there are other cheaper sliding scale community-based options. um, If you're feeling overwhelmed and not sure where to start and how to advocate, get connected with community there are other resources.
1: Yeah. And that's a really good point that, you know, for any doctor's appointment, there are things you can do to make it an easier doctor's appointment for you. You can mm. ask for a child-sized speculum. You can ask to insert the speculum yourself. You could ask for, um, a. you could ask that they do, you know, that they first just use a Q-tip and there's something called a Q-tip test to actually understand like where you're feeling pain, right? Mm-hmm. Before they do any of that um, you can ask to have a mirror so that you can see what's going on. There's all sorts of things that we have some of these, um, ideas and resources also in our, we have a zine that is like stories of, um, people's experiences with chronic vulva, vaginal, and pelvic pain. But there's also some great organizations out there, um, that are provider organizations like, ISWISH, IPPS, ISSBD, which are medical organizations that have really, really good information on their websites about the different conditions and about kind of what a doctor's appointment could look like. Mm -hmm. And you can bring some of that to your appointment, right? You could print it out and bring it with you to show a doctor. Um, There's like ideas on there about what what you can ask for and also about um, what the different possibilities of what condition you have are. And I think also the other thing I was just going to say about community, which is so, so key to so much of this is for people who are looking for community. That's a huge part of what we've been doing with tight lift is actually bringing people together to destigmatize yeah. these conditions. And so, um, we have in, in person, we have chapters in LA, New York City, New Haven, San Diego. Um, and we're starting chapters in a couple other cities around the country. But also if you're not in one of those cities, there's ways to get involved, come to virtual programs, that kind of thing, because that can make a, huge difference for people is just to find community with other folks.
0: Yeah. And ha- how can folks get in touch and join the fight and join the community and, um, see what you're doing so they can, they can help and get some access.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, we have chapters in cities across the country. If you're in one of those cities, you can join the chapter. The best way to find out about that is to go to our website, which is tightlips.org. Um, or to go on, it, or even Instagram at tightlipped.org. That's where you can find sign up forms to sign up to get involved in your city. And we also have our own podcast called Tightlipped. That's also a Which great. Is great. Way, yeah, if you're feeling like it's hard to be part or you're not ready to talk about it, it's hard to be part of a community, um, but you just want to hear other people's experiences that might be fam- familiar or feel similar to yours, that can be a great place to start.
0: Yeah, and we didn't talk much about this in the podcast because we did focus a little bit on kind of the the pain and why this is happening in these systems. Um, but I do want to like really highlight that even if you're experiencing pain, um, pleasure is possible. You are still in a body that is pleasure able, and I think a lot of folks who are experiencing pain, they wait until this is. I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a second. This is my PSA. Uh, they wait until the pain is quote unquote, resolved or think they need to wait until the pain is resolved to find creative ways to experience pleasure. And so that's something I work on with a lot of clients. And I want you to know that like pleasure is possible in whatever level of accessibility is happening um, for your body. I also want to normalize any feelings that you're having as a reaction to this podcast. And I will say a big one I hear is rage. (laughs) and anger, you might be like, I'm fucking pissed. Um, and that is a very normal, understandable reaction. Let's figure out where you can alchemize, uh, that rage and anger to, to try to make a shift either in your own life or for this kind of system, um, at large, if you feel so called to do so. Um, but pleasure is possible. Pleasure is, uh, A possibility. Um, And I want to remind folks that, as I say on so many podcasts, um, it's also a healing modality. And so get some help to make sure that you can find pleasure in your life because I do believe it's a human right and you deserve it, especially if you're experiencing pain. Um, Anything else you want to shout out for folks, um, Noah, to uh, connect them to TightLift or other resources?
1: Um, yeah, I'll just say in terms of what, what you just brought up is so important about experiencing pleasure and the fact that, you know, there are still ways to have very pleasurable effects, even if you have pain or even if you have pain with penetration. Um, we actually released an episode called Loving Through This, which is a story of a couple, Jasmine and Jordan. It's so they're good. Incredible. They're amazing. They will make you cry and laugh and they're beautiful. Um, And the story of their marriage and how they have found intimacy and sex, and renegotiated, navigated their relationship, um, even throughout Jasmine's experience with chronic vaginal pain, Um, certainly relates to my own experience, um, and feels like a very important thing for people to understand that like not all sex is penetrative sex, and there are so many ways to find that pleasure, and that if you're feeling angry about all these things that are extremely frustrating, there is a place and a way to channel that anger. And like for me, that is why I found like community organizing and advocacy. And that is what motivated me to start Tight Lipped is to say like, okay, we need a way to actually channel this anger into actually changing how people are treated with these conditions and to make sure that this is not something that continues into the future and that future patients have a fundamentally different experience of healthcare um, and of yeah. their own bodies. So Yeah, if you're feeling accurate, there's a way... There's something to do with it, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, we are so lucky to have you in this universe. And Tight Lipped is such a fabulous name (laughs) for this. Um, And I have been so glad that it's a resource out there for myself and for clients. Um, Again, listeners, if you want to follow more about this, and don't forget to check the show notes on this one because I'm going to include all those resources that we talked about. Um, Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, um, or you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. And don't forget to rate and review and check out those advertiser discounts. Noah, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. It was great. Sluts and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.